Like Mandy said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody that might be here for the first time. Also, welcome to anybody who's listening to us through our website or through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning. Well, we're just a few days away from a brand new year. Now, depending on where you are right now, what type of year you've had, you're either really excited for a new year or you couldn't care less, right? Um, Me personally, I've had a great year this year. Um, God has promised us many, many things. A lot of those things came to pass this year. Um, You may may or may not know this, but pastors kind of live on this roller coaster, and a lot of the ups and downs of that roller coaster depends on how, you know, church life goes. And so I've been on a roller coaster that had a lot of, you know, valleys in it. But for us this year, this is a really good year. Um, Lots of people um, have been baptized. People have come to faith. You know, giving is up. People are engaging in community and, and ways. People are enjoying small groups. And so all of those things, God has promised us that he would do that. And because people are engaging, that their lives are being transformed. And so it's just been a fantastic year for me on the church front, fantastic year for me on my family front and every other front. Things haven't been perfect, but I'm excited uh, about the pro- possibility of entering a new year that's equally as great as this one. I feel like God has some fantastic things in store for us in this new year. But some of you, I know your story, and this has been, as far as you can remember, as far as you could tell, this has kind of been the worst year of your life. Some of you have had children who are just perpetually sick. Some of you have lost jobs. And some of you have just had terrible times in your relationships, and you're just eager for this year to be over. Some of you eager for this year to be over, eager to enter a new year, and some of you, you've had the type of year that just makes you indifferent about all of it. You're totally apathetic. You've totally disengaged and all these sorts of things. And so whether you're having a great year and looking forward to the new year, whether you had a terrible year and couldn't care less, you just want to just take a nap someplace, uh, regardless of where you fall on the spectrum there, I think that you're going to want to pay attention to what God's going to do for us and through us in this new year. I promise you that's not just preacher talk. That's not just something we say to get people riled up. But I really believe, in the same way that I believed this time last year, that God wants to do something very, very special with us in this new year. And because of that, I want to begin a brand new series that's going to take us into the new year a series that I'm simply calling Lean In. Now, if you've hung around here for any length of time, you know that that's a phrase that I use a lot. To lean in just means to engage. It means to partner with God. It means to take interest in what God is doing, to move yourself in the direction that God is pushing us, that he's leading us to lean in. And there's no greater time to focus on leaning in, engaging what God has for us, then at the new year. I don't know about you, but there's something about your calendar turning over to another January that gives me a little bit of hope, right? Uh, A little bit of hope that I can have a fresh start, that I can do some things differently. Maybe some things that I let slip. Uh, January 1 seems like a really good time to start it over again. Maybe you've been a little laxed about your eating and your exercise, but, you know, January 1, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have these free, you know, couple, couple of weeks. But when January turns over, I'm going to engage that again. Yeah, I need some, to close some accounts to fix some relationships, to engage some things again. But January 1, something about January 1 that gives us hope in transforming, changing some things, and starting some things over. And I think especially as it relates to our life uh, with, with Jesus Christ, and especially as it relates to our life with one another here in community, 
God is calling us to lean in. Few scriptures in the Bible give me hope and inspire me like Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3. And so if you're looking for a text to like carry you into this new year, to inspire you to engage what God has for you, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Paul says this in verse 12, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Paul says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us to. And so what is Paul talking about? Paul has some really rich wisdom for us this morning. A few weeks ago, Paul told us the secret to finding contentment, the secret to figuring out how to live life, no matter whether you have a lot or a little, whether you're up or whether you're down. And this week, Paul is instructing us on how to march toward perfection. Now, if you, if you know anything about this life, you know that perfection is not really an attainable goal. I don't think God expects us to ever achieve perfection, but God sets out for us his standard, his perfect standard, and what he wants us to do is to be constantly moving toward that, okay? And so don't freak out. God is not expecting you to snap your fingers and be perfect, but he does, however, expect us to be constantly moving toward perfection, constantly seeking and searching God's ideal, his standards, his statutes, his principles, and steadily moving toward that, such that if you ever find yourself standing still in your walk with Jesus Christ, you're, you're doing it wrong. Did you ever find yourself stuck, or worse, moving backwards, you're doing something wrong because the goal is to be constantly moving forward. And so Paul says, I have not achieved this. Listen, I know I'm an awesome dude, but I certainly have not achieved perfection. But this is what I do. Paul says, I press on to possess possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Paul is giving us the secret to constantly moving forward. And there's two components to this. The first component is forgetting. Paul says, I forget the past. I forget the past. I forget some things. I have to leave some things behind me. I have to move away from some things. I have to move away from some people. I have to move away from certain attitudes and mindsets. Paul says, if I'm going to press, if I'm going to go forward, if I'm going to be constantly moving toward the ideals that God has set forth for me, I'm going to have to forget some things. I'm going to have to put some things behind me. I'm going to have to put some space in between me and the things that keeps me stuck. I'm going to have to put some space between me and even those things that were good for last season. Those things and those people and those ideas that were good for 2013 or maybe 1998, but in the moment, those things are not proven helpful. I'm going to have to forget those things. I'm going to have to walk away from those things. So the first component is forgetting And the other component is pressing, right? Leaning, moving forward towards some things, towards some new people, towards some new attitudes, towards some new mindsets. And if you want to stay stuck in your life, want to stay stuck in your life, you know, be afraid to move away from some things and be afraid to move towards some things. 
Oftentimes as a pastor, when I listen to people's story and I hear them lament about their life, what I'm listening for is what are they forgetting and what are they pressing towards? And almost exclusively the people who are stuck in life, something has complicated their press. There's something has complicated that lean. And maybe something happened. Maybe someone happened. Maybe they've been disappointed. Maybe God didn't come through like he said. Maybe they're just fatigued with life and faith and they've lost hope. And what they've been doing is they've been standing still. And Christians will never be happy. They will never be joyful. They will never be fulfilled standing still. Because what God wants us to do is constantly press, constantly lean forward. If you want to get unstuck, if you want to move toward what God has for you, what he has for us, you're going to have to lean. You're going to have to press. And as you lean and as you press, you will be most certainly forgetting some things. And so as we sit a couple days before the new year is upon us, the most important decision that you'll make today, tomorrow, and the next day leading up to this new year, the most important decision that you will make is what am I going to lean toward? What am I going to press toward? What am I going to strive for? And more importantly, equally important, is what am I going to forget in this new year? What am I going to move away from in this new year? What things have been pestering me and bothering me? What things have I attached myself to that have complicated my press, that have complicated my movement toward Jesus? What do I need to forget? And so forget about your New Year's outfit that you're going to wear and all your party plans. You can table that for in this moment, right, in these next few moments, I want us collectively thinking about what is it that God is calling us to press toward. And so one of the things that we corporately do as a church around this time of year is we press into, corporately, we press into something that we call the spiritual disciplines. If you just joined us, we're having some power issues this morning. Uh, Don't let that you know, don't let that be a distraction this morning. We usually have some visual aids, but listen, press, lean into this this morning and stay with me at least so it could be fun for me too, okay? But one of the things that we choose to engage at the beginning of these new years is, are the spiritual disciplines. And the spiritual disciplines are practices. It's things that we do in order to gain a measure of spiritual maturity. If you haven't figured it out by now, One of the things that pressing will get you, leaning towards God's stuff, will make you more spiritually mature. The same way that a baby grows up and they're supposed to be, you know, getting to different stages of life, gaining maturity, being well-adjusted, being self-sufficient, being independent, that sort of thing. In the same way, God expects your spirit, man, your life with him, to be ever-increasing in spiritual maturity. And so these certain practices, things that we call the spiritual disciplines, help us to engage that in a more perfect way. And I always say that when we fall and when we falter and we fall off the wagon and we get stuck and we get off the trail, it's not usually because we don't know what to do. Sometimes we don't know what to do. Sometimes we're paralyzed and we don't know what to do and we're curious about what we should do and what we shouldn't do. But oftentimes it's the case that we know what to do. We simply just lack the discipline to do it. Right? Think about all the areas that you've fallen off this year. Many of those areas, you knew what you should be doing. You knew what you should be eating. You knew what type of exercises you should be doing. You knew how to engage with God. But we lacked what? The discipline. We lacked discipline. And discipline is simply training expected to produce a specific character 
or pattern of behavior, especially training that produced moral or mental improvement. So the spiritual disciplines include things like confession, things like generosity, things like serving others, things like forgiveness. But this morning, what we're going to focus on are the spiritual disciplines of fasting and prayer. The spiritual disciplines of fasting and prayer. Many of you know that in a couple of days, January 2nd, we start our 30-day fast. And some of you have been around for a couple of years, and you know how powerful these are. Others of you are new, you're just visiting with us today, or you haven't gone through a cycle of our fast, and you're like, this is strange. Please hurry up and explain this before I leave out of the doors, you know. But we engage a 30-day fast. Now, some of you know that fasting involves uh, abstaining from food, but fasting doesn't have to necessarily uh, relate directly to food. But I want to talk about how we're going to engage this corporate fast in the next few days, and how through it, God is going to just use this, this, this next 30 days or so as a real opportunity for us to empty ourselves, to forget some things, and he's going to really impress upon us what we should be pressing towards, what we should be moving towards. And so today I'm simply calling this talk, Leaning In to Fasting and Prayer. These aren't some things that are going to overtake you. These things aren't going to happen to you. You have to lean into them, and I think that you'll be glad you did. Let me just pray before I begin this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to come before your people. Lord, I I know that there are things distracting us this morning, Lord. I pray that these elements would not take away, Lord, from what you want us to uh, engage this morning. Father, I pray that we would be able to focus. Father, I pray that I would be able to focus and not be distracted by the things that are competing for my attention right now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would put power on these words that you've given given me to speak that your truth and your light may shine through. Lord, would you convict our hearts? Would you move us in your direction? Lord, I pray that people wouldn't engage this fast, they wouldn't engage this challenge as a result of being bullied by the preacher. Lord, but your spirit would nudge us in the direction that we should go. And you would be moving, Lord. You would be pulling the strings today. So we surrender this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're talking this morning about leaning in to the spiritual disciplines of fasting and prayer. And some of you might ask a very innocent but very important question, what is fasting? Fasting is simply to abstain from uh, all or some kinds of food or drink, especially as a religious observance. Specifically, pulling away from certain things, things like food, and you can, you know, plug anything else into there. Uh, and engaging God in a, in a real and, and, and unique and powerful way. So fasting simply means to pull away from some things, to abstain from some things, so that you can lean into and pursue God on a deeper level. Uh, if you look all throughout Scripture, both the Old and New Testament, there are mentions of fasting all over the Scripture. So fasting is a common practice within Scripture. And somebody says, okay, you gave me a definition of fasting, but why should we fast? Why is it important? Well, I think generally it's just really important for us to reduce at times, to pull back. If you consider the culture we live in, we're not a culture that instinctively reduces. We're not looking around our garage and saying, you know what, we have too many nice cars in here. Let's give one away. We're not looking in the fridge and saying, man, there's so much delicious food in here. Let's see who we can give some of this to. No, our instinct is to say, man, we got a little slither of space in the garage. Maybe we should get a motorcycle. 
Uh, there's a little corner of, you know, re- refrigerator space left. Maybe we could stick some hot pockets or something in there, you know, for a rainy day. Our instinct is not to reduce, but in God's economy, he's always challenging us to reduce, to simplify, to pull back a little bit. And so when you ask why is fasting a, di- a big deal, why is it a spiritual discipline, why is it something that, spir- that, that Scripture highlights over and over, I have a good friend who pastors the Vineyard Church in Minneapolis, and he puts it this way. He sums it up in a very, you know, uh, interesting way. He says, food and eating meets an emotional need that we have. I know you think that food is just fuel to give you energy and calories, but if, you, if we're real about it, food comforts us. It meets an emotional need that we have. And so when we abstain from food, when we don't eat, certain emotional needs that we're accustomed to having met don't get met. And the next step to fasting is that we engage God, hoping that he would meet those needs that food or any other thing has met. I'll say that again because it's really important. Food and other things meet emotional needs, get really attached to these things, often abuse these good God-given things. And so when we say no to those things and when we reduce in very particular ways, those needs don't get met by those things. And so as we push away from those things and we lean away from them and we lean toward God, the hope is that God would begin to meet the needs that those other things use to meet. And so you take food out and you put social media You take food or social media out, you put television, or you put sex in there, or you put, you know, anything, games on your smartphone, or all these sorts of things that, again, aren't bad things. But some of us would just say, you know what, that thing is getting larger and larger in my life. I'm eating more and more. I'm more sedentary than I used to be. Listen, I just, you know, if I just just time myself, how much time I spend on Facebook, on Instagram, it's it's just growing and growing and growing. The reality is that we, we only have so much time in the day. We only have so much space. And so if, some, if those things keep growing and growing, guess what's likely to get pushed out? Guess what's likely to get, you know, pushed to the fringes of life? The things that matter most. God, your relationships, all the things that matter to God, right? And so we pull away from these things that meet emotional needs and we push toward Jesus. We pull away from the comforts that we've grown used to and we push toward Jesus. And it's only when we begin to throw some of those things overboard that we realize how much space they consumed. <laughs> right? You ever go without eating for a while? And your instinct just takes you to the refrigerator. You're going, what am I going to the refrigerator for? And you realize just how much snacking you do every day, every week, right? You ever just cut, turn the TV off for an extended period of time? You go, I don't know what to do with myself, right? You ever turn the smartphone off for a little bit? You go, what? This, I'm hooked on this thing. I've got all this time. I don't know what to do, right? And so it's not until we chuck some of those things overboard that we begin to see just how much space uh, those things occupy and how much more we need God to fill our lives. It's really it's significant how that works out. And I like how fasting is discussed in Scripture, you know, fasting is not talked about in sort of a casual way. You know, we're not even given a command to fast. 
when Jesus talks about fasting, he all, all, often talks about it in this assumptive way. He just kind of like assumes that people who want to grow deeper in their faith, who want to get closer to God, he just kind of assumes that this is what you will do. The command isn't to pray. I mean, there's a lot of assumptive language surrounding pray. Hey, when you pray, pray like this. When you fast, fast this way. It's like this is kind of what followers of Jesus do because we often need to reduce. I love this passage in Mark chapter 2, verse 18. It says, once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? Uh, This is obviously a setting where Jesus is still engaging with his disciples. And John's disciples and some other religious folks say, Hey, Jesus, we noticed that your guys aren't fasting. They aren't being very pious. Would you help us understand why these guys aren't fasting? And so basically Jesus says, Listen, if you're hanging out at a wedding with the groom, are you going to abstain from drinking? Are you going to abstain from eating? No, you're going to celebrate with him. You're in the thick of party life with them. Why would you fast? Why would you abstain? Why would you pull yourself away? That would be rude, right? And so Jesus says, listen, I'm with these guys every day. They're hanging out with me. They're learning from me. They're drinking in deep gulps of my wisdom and getting ready for the next phase of their life and ministry. But there's going to be a time where I will have to go away. And when Jesus says, when I go away, then they'll feel the whole world begin to press in on them. And then the whole world would be more material, more real, more, more valuable to them than me. And it's then that they'll need to fast. It's then that they'll need to pull away from those things that seem more important, that seem more present. Jesus says, I'm here with them now, but I'm, when I go away, I'm really, they're really going to need to press into redu- reducing and pressing to fasting. And I think the same is true with us. We don't have the benefit of having Jesus here in the flesh. And since our relationship with Jesus is spiritual, our relationship with Jesus is emotional, it's not sort of natural and tangible, the things that are real, the things that are pressing, the things that we can feel and taste and touch seem more important to us than Jesus. Seem more important to us than the kingdom stuff. And because life is pressing in on us, we have to be deliberate about pulling away from those things. You have to be deliberate about pulling away from those things. And personally, I don't know about you, but this time of the year where a whole year has passed, whether it's been good or bad, I I find at this time of the year I'm most in need of perspective. I'm most in need of some blueprint, some plan. God, give me the plays. Show me what's next in my family, in my marriage, in my kids. Show me what's next in my life, in my relationship. Show me what's next as I, as I relate to this church. Why? Because the world at this time of the year, whole calendar year has pressed in on me. And I need to declutter my life. I need to reduce. I need to focus. Because as those noises grow louder and louder, God's voice grows smaller and smaller. And as I force those those voices and those distractions to be reduced in my life, guess what? God's voice grows louder and louder in my ears. I've had the privilege of engaging a long-term fast for the last, you know, six or so years. 
And some of you have heard my description uh, of what happens in those moments. I just feel like the best way I can describe it is like I'm in a room full of radios. They're all in a different channel. There's just noise, all different volumes. And as the fast goes on and on, and what, it, what it seems like is those, the volume on those different radios just begin to gradually turn down until ultimately I can hear clearly one radio. And that, you know, is a, is a figurative sort of picture of God's voice, right? And God's not going to yell over all these voices that we have in our head. We just we got to turn them down. We, we just have to turn them down. And so what fasting does is it just turns down the volume, whatever you have to do to turn down those volumes on those other boxes, on those other voices, so that God's voice can speak to us to say no to some things so that we could hear the voice of the Lord. And this is especially challenging because it's just, it's not within our nature to tell ourselves no, especially to the things that we enjoy. It's, it's countercultural to say no to ourselves. That's why we call it a discipline. That's why it's challenging. That's why it's hard. And so I think you should be very alarmed right now if your natural response to this whole talking and conversation about fasting, if, you're, if your natural response is indifference, if you've already decided that you're not doing that, then I think you should be very alarmed. If your natural instinct is to be annoyed that we're wasting a Sunday talking about this stuff, then I think you should be very, very concerned. I think a healthy response to this is to be a little bit scared <laughs> especially if you've never engaged this before, to be a little bit anxious, right? You say, how am I going to make it through my day without that coffee and that honey bun that I have every morning? How am I going to get through without my soap operas, without my stories? How am I going to get through if I'm not, you know, checking and posting and tweeting and all these? So how am I going to make it? That's a, that's a healthy, natural response. But let me tell you, if you crossed your arms in your heart, if you checked out, because this seems silly or seems, you know, you know, like unnecessary, then I think you should be a little bit alarmed, right? Because this is really important. So we talk about what fasting is, why we should fast. I think another question that we can ask and answer is how should I fast? The Bible is not silent about how we should fast. So the Bible gives us some do's and don'ts of fasting. We see it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Jesus says this, And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward you'll ever get. Verse 17, But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting, except your Father, who knows what you do in private. And your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Jesus didn't say, hey, if you ever get around to fasting. He says, when you fast. Again, there's more of that assumptive language. When you fast, there's a certain way to go about it. He starts with the don'ts. Don't make it obvious, right? Don't make it obvious as some do. You, you're on Facebook day, day three, you know. Pray for me, y'all. <laughs> make it obvious or just you want to bait people into asking you what's going on hey man you got the time i, I don't know man i'm fasting does that have to do with anything <laughs> what does it have to do with anything 
And so, I mean, this is particularly for those of us who are new to it. It can be something that we sort of wear as a badge of spiritual honor and we take pride in in this kind of goofy way. And Jesus is saying, listen, don't make it obvious. Don't, this isn't about you. This isn't to draw attention to yourself so people could go, man, that brother is deep. Or that's just to really is connected with God. In fact, if you're making it obvious, you've got a longer way to go than we thought. Okay? So don't make it obvious. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't make this about you. Don't judge others. Don't try to figure out what somebody else is doing and measure that up against what you're doing. This is it's not about that. It's not a race. It's not a competition. It's not a competition. It's between you and God. And Jesus basically says, if you're going after the praise of men, if you're going after people patting you on the back and hanging your picture in their hall of spiritual heroes, then that's going to be the reward that you get. Uh, what a cheap reward, okay? So he tells us what not to do. But he also tells us what to do. He says, comb your hair and wash your face. In other words, don't try to look miserable as you do this. He says, fast humbly. Make this about Jesus. Do understand that Jesus sees your sacrifice, and he will reward you in private, right? Because you've engaged this as a personal thing with him. That doesn't mean you can't discuss it, because it will come up. I mean, you're, you're, you're in a you know, lunch meeting with people and you're having coffee and everybody else is having the prime rib and, you know, you might have to mention that you're engaging in something, you know. Um, and so it doesn't mean it has to, you've got to keep it secret or you have to just run out of the room if anybody asks you about it. It simply means to check your heart and check your motives as to how you engage this because it's not about you. It's not about anybody else. It's about, you know, you and God connecting. And so fasting can be, and it likely will be, very, very hard. Even if you fasted before, it's, it's, just, it's very challenging. You've grown accustomed to these things naturally. You've grown accustomed to them emotionally. It can be very, very challenging, but it's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. And so I think another important thing is to mention is that fasting is not like this standalone deal. Fasting should be coupled with prayer. And so if you are choosing to fast and you don't choose to couple it with prayer and devotion, then you're just dieting, right? You're just, you know, practicing, you know, being, becoming more disciplined and saying no to that thing, which is probably good in some sense. But it's not fasting in, the, in a Christian sense because fasting, pulling away from something, means that you also engage something, right? And so fasting should be coupled with prayer. And I want to spend just a few minutes talking about prayer. Prayer is simply communication with God. Communication with God. Communication with God. And again, one of my goals is to, in, in life, and just as a preacher, is to decomplicate a lot of things that we make complicated. It's as easy as I communicate, you know, with Colin, just talk with him and just, you know, share what's on my heart and to hear what he has to say. That's as, that's as, that's as simple as it is as it relates to God. It's communication with him. Praising him, thanking him, sharing with him what's on my heart, telling him about my fears. Well, it also includes shutting up from time to time and listening to what he might say to me. And so I think it's really awesome in the scripture that Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. You're, our, you're the master, you're the, you're the rabbi. Teach us how we should pray. And this is what Jesus had to say to them in Matthew chapter 6. You can turn there if you want. Matthew chapter 6, I'll start at verse 5. Jesus says, when you pray, there's that when again. It assumes that we'll pray. This is something that we should do. 
When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everybody can see them. I tell you the truth that it's all the reward they'll ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by the repeating of their words again and again. But don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask. Jesus continues, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need and forgive our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Many of you can quote that from memory. But I don't think that we've taken this prayer uh, that Jesus gives us in the right way. I, I think it's great to memorize this, but I think what Jesus was giving us was not something to just parrot after him, but Jesus was giving us a template to use. Anybody know what a template is? It's like, hey, this is just a rough outline. Fill in your stuff here. And for those of you who are new to faith and you're new to fasting, you're especially new to prayer, sometimes you've just sat in your living room and just go, okay, you know, I just want to open my mouth and maybe something will come out. Prayer generally doesn't work like that. It's, it's, an, act, it's an activity, right? It, it requires initiation. And what Jesus is doing is giving us a template through which we can overlay our, the specifics of our life and heart so that we can have just a guide as we get engaged in prayer, okay? And so I just want to run through these just components of this template. First, he opens, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. That's just a salutation. That's just a greeting. And off the top of the thing that we're reminding ourselves who we're talking to. This isn't somebody that we're sharing a pint with down at the tavern, Right? This isn't just some dude, you know, that we're just hanging out with. This is our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. You're far above me. You, you created me. I'm, I'm orienting myself to this God-servant relationship just so I don't get this thing twisted. And so I'm opening this by, 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 by reminding myself of who I'm talking to. I'm talking to a God that's holy. I'm talking to God who is all-powerful. Life and death is in his hands. I'm also talking to my Father, a God that loves me, a God who created me, a God who has a great plan for me, a God who I'm not bugging by darkening his door. You understand what I'm saying? And so it's a salutation. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. He continues, may your kingdom come and may your will be done. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. Now, this is important because prayers often include requests. It often re includes petitions. God, would you do this? God, would you change this? God, would you give me this, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But it's very important that we have the disposition of our heart. Lord, no matter what I ask for, no matter what I petition you for, the disposition of my heart is such that I would rather that your will be done and that your kingdom would come over whatever I ask you. I'll say that again. The disposition of my heart. As I start this thing off, before I ask for a thing, I say with my heart, Lord, I submit to your will. I submit to your plans. I submit to your purpose. In other words, in as much as it includes me, I want to do your will. So take these petitions, Lord. Hear them. 
process them, do whatever you want. But in the end, at the end of all of this, I want to be in faithful submission to your will, your plans. Whatever I ask, Lord, you can have your way. I mean, that, that changes the game a little bit. Because if God says no, you go, dang, okay, <laughs> your will be done, not your will, but my, not my will, but yours. And so this whole, your kingdom come, your will be done, just speaks, it reminds myself of who I'm submitting to. It reminds myself of who, who's God, who's calling the shots. And then the second component of this is that we ask for daily bread. Give us our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. That daily is, that's not a typo. I mean, we live in a culture where we want to take the flatbed truck and back it up to Costco and Sam's, and we want to get a month's supply because we're just too busy to go back the next day. Or in God's economy, it doesn't work that way. God gives us enough for today. He said, come back tomorrow. I have some more for you. You know, what if I just read 10 chapters today and pray like for an extra long time today, and maybe that'll, maybe that'll last me for the week. No, this daily bread is, I mean, this is a careful choice of words here. Give me my food for today. Give me my sustenance for today. Uh, yesterday has come, has come and gone. It had its own cares. It had its own problems. And lots of the seed that God, you know, liberally threw in my life were eaten up by the cares of life. Would you give me new bread for today? Ask for daily bread. He continues to ask for forgiveness. Lord, would you forgive me? This is, like a commission. this is an admission of guilt. It's an admission that I'm sinful, that I'm selfish, that I'm in need of salvation. Lord, would you, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me as I forgive others? And the last component to this is, Lord, would you protect us from the evil one? It's an acknowledgement that there is a real devil that hates your guts, that really despises the fact that you've connected yourself to the true and living God. It embraces the reality that when I joined with God, all of his enemies became mine. All of his enemies became mine. There's a real devil that's trying to kill me, destroy me, and frustrate the plans that God has for me. Lord, would you lift up a standard against him? Would you protect me from the evil one? And so this is a template. This is not to just be recited, but just go through these point by point and just add your stuff in there. You start, our Father, just spend some time praising him. May your kingdom come. Lord, would you have your way in my life? That's so important. Would you give me daily bread? Would you forgive me as I forgive others? Would you protect me and my family and my stuff, protect my life from the evil one? This is how we're supposed to engage in prayer. And many people who first start off praying, their prayers are very, very short. And that's cool. The prayers are very, very, very simple. And that's okay. This is a discipline. This is a practice. This is something that we do and we get better at and we get more comfortable at. But listen, as we engage this fast, it's very, very important that we also, that we also pray. So, you know, part of this fast uh, comes with a couple other things, right? And so when you came in today... In your bulletin was a, um, was a sheet. It's a 30-day fast, 30-day challenge sheet. Would you pull that out? And if you don't have one of those sheets, would you just slip your hand up and somebody will bring you one? Because some of you say, okay, fasting, I understand that prayer. and keep it simple. This is a template. How do I respond to this? Okay, how do we engage this thing? Last year and the year before that, we, uh, we engaged in a 30-day challenge. And you're getting right now a 30-day challenge sheet. 
I'll um, just pause until you get that. And so I don't know. Were those were those full sheets or were those torn in half? Okay. All right. So basically, what that is is an opportunity for you to make a commitment about how you're going to engage uh, this this fast, this 30-day challenge. And the question, the main question, as we engage a fast, is what are some of the things in my life? that compete with God for my attention and my affection? What are some of those things? What are some of those things? And I just want you to think about it. Many of you already know. Just That's an important question for you. The goal is over the next 30 days to be honest about those things and to willfully commit to pulling back from those things. In other words, the biggest part of this challenge is to participate in this fast, to be deliberate, to be transparent, to be accountable and to be sacrificial. By sacrificial, I mean, you know, if you're choosing something that doesn't really, you know, matter to you, then you're doing it wrong. You know, if you're allergic to asparagus and you're fasting asparagus, that's not really, you know, that's not the goal of this exercise. And some of you, oh, what is my thing? You know, if you, if, if, listen, in my experience, it hasn't been a mystery to me what I should engage, Right? I'm a husky guy, right? You probably noticed, you know? I enjoy food more than I should. And so I don't, have to, I don't have to deliberate real long about one of the main things that God is calling me to pull away from. And I've seen people over the years just hop over the things that is most pressing in their life, the things that robs them of energy, joy, life with Jesus. I mean, it's a glaring thing, glaring thing such that everybody would go, hmm, I wonder why they skip that, right? All to say that it's usually obvious to you the main few things that God is calling you to pull away from, things that are pulling you in the wrong direction, things that take up a lot of your time. You understand what I'm saying? And so God is challenging you to select those things, to be accountable about those things. And so I want you to write those things in that list there. I'm going to give you some time to do that, so don't feel like you have to do that now. But we also couple our fasting with prayer. And so much of what we talked about earlier has to do with private prayer, but there's also a part of this challenge. We have a prayer meeting twice a month on Saturdays. Uh, is it the first and third Saturday of every month? We have a prayer meeting at 8 o'clock right in this room right here. There's a little bit of worship, but we just spend some time corporately as a church praying for our, uh, for, praying for our church, praying for our families, praying for our cities, praying for our leader, praying for this world. There's been plenty to pray about lately, right? And so many of you have never, you didn't even know that meeting existed. But we just get like a handful of people to come to that meeting. And that's usually the case in most churches. Just a few people come to the prayer meetings. But during this 30-day challenge, we challenge everybody in our church to engage these prayer meetings. This is a 30-day challenge. You can, you know, you can scrap this on the 31st day. But for 30 days, what we're asking is that people that call this church home would commit to engaging corporately with us at these prayer meetings. They last one hour. You could set your watch to its start and stop times, okay? And so what we're asking is that you would engage these prayer meetings. Some of you will come to all five of them. There's five Saturdays in this, uh, in this upcoming month. Some of you say, I can come to one. Some of you say, I can come to two. But we want you to engage it, and we want you to, to write down your commitment on that card. 
Also, we, uh, we serve at Restoration Ministries. One of the things that I think God is challenging us to lean into is uh, greater care uh, for the poor. And so one of the things that we do at Restoration Ministries is we go and we serve the poor. It's a halfway house, they, they, the food pantry on Saturdays from 9.45 to noon. We particularly go as a church on the second and fourth Saturday of every month. And so uh, what we're asking you guys to do is to join us in that effort. Some of you say, you know what, I'm going to come all four week, weekends. Some of you say, you know what, I, I, I can come one, some say two, three, whatever. Sacrificially engage Restoration Ministries because we need to care for the poor. Now, the goal, of course, is that after we finish this 30 days, you will see the value and importance of those things, and you will continue them in some meaningful way. Um, but we do want you to engage our ser- service to the poor through Restoration Ministries. Also, we, uh, we like for people to engage in, in our small group communities here. Uh, we talk often about small groups. Small groups uh, are the way that we sort of shrink the church or the way that we, you know, move out of this big meeting and actually relate to one another. We say often that real community life is done in circles and not rows. This is rows. This serves a function. But small groups, we're face-to-face, life on life, learning about one another, relating to one another, studying the scriptures, asking questions, conversing, right? And so one of the main ways that we grow spiritually is with and through other people. And so one of the other components of this challenge is that we ask people who are not a part of a small group, those who are not even considering to engage small groups, that they actively engage small groups for that first month, for the first, uh, for the first 30 days of, of January. And so we're asking that you um, to engage in small groups. Actually, next week we'll have a small group fair which basically um, all of our small group leaders will have a table. They have a few desserts in front of their table. And you can go to each table and talk to the small group leaders, and they'll tell you about their small group so you can know which one you can sign up for. Listen, talk to people who are in a small group. They really, their lives are really enriched by this. And again, community is a discipline, especially for some of us. If you're a strong introvert like me, it's, 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 it's hard to engage with other people. It's hard to, you know, be transparent and to share your life with other people. Others of you, this, you can't wait until small groups start. You've been just sort of chomping at the bit to engage. But for some of us, it's really, really difficult. And I think for you, this will be one of those areas that you'll surrender to God and you'll lay down because this is what he's calling you to do, at least for the next 30 days. So we talk about small groups. Uh, we also talk about our nights of, of worship. We have a night of worship just about once a month. It's usually the, it's the fourth, Saturday, fourth Friday of the month. Uh, and it's just an opportunity where we come here and we do an extended time of, of worship and prayer ministry and just sort of we engage community and we engage God in a powerful way. Listen, we're asking that for this month that everybody that calls this church home would say, you know what, I don't usually go to that. I've never been. But because that's what we're doing corporately, I'm going to engage that in the month of January as a part of this 30-day challenge. So some of you, you can't wait until night of worship rolls around. Others of you, you could take or leave it. And so for you, it'll be a challenge to, to lay that preference down and to engage it. And my guess is that you'll be pleasantly surprised at how the Lord meets you as you engage these things that you would not normally do. So we're talking about nights of worship. And one of the things that's not on there, but I think it's also important, some of you, uh, God would just challenge you to be more generous with your resources as it relates to other people, and especially as it relates to giving uh, to this church to support the, the ministry that we do here. Um, we have a very generous church. Lots and lots of people give very generously. Lots of people tithe and give offerings very regularly. But there's a good chunk of people who just skip out on that part. And so I'm not shy about talking about money and giving and generosity because I just think that so much happens as a result 
of us surrendering that part of our, uh, that part of our life to Jesus. I also know that many of you take advantage of the ministry that we do here. Everything that we do here just about costs money and people resources, material resources, all sorts of things. And so I'm not shy about asking those who partake of those things to regularly contribute to to this ministry. And so some of you will be challenged to be more generous uh, over the next 30 days and put God to the test and see what happens as a result of this. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the next few minutes and I want you to fill out that sheet. And then I'm going to come back in just a few minutes, and I'll, and I'll pray over the commitments that we've made, and, uh, um, and then we'll continue with worship. So take the next few minutes. So let me just pray over these while you finish up. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for, um, we, I just thank you for this church and what you're doing in our lives through this community of faith. Lord, I also thank you for um, this 30-day fast is coming up, and the challenge that, that, that goes along with that. Lord, I just ask that you would use this uh, to get some serious things done in our hearts. Lord, you know each of us, where we are, where we stand, where we fall short. Lord, you know the secrets of our hearts. You know the things, Lord, that, we, that constantly replace you in our lives, the things that we long for, the things that we fill our hearts with. And so, Lord, I just pray, Lord, for those of us, especially those of us who have really chosen some challenging things and really know that we'll feel the pinch uh, of eliminating these things or drastically reducing some of these things in our life and in our hearts. Lord, I just pray that you would give us strength and courage and the grace to make good on the commitments that we have made. Lord, I ask that you would um, speak clearly to us. And Lord, I just pray even the opening days of this, Lord, that you would just speak and you would move in ways that just confirms that we've made the right choice. Lord, I pray that we would be able to see some immediate fruit of this sacrifice, Lord. And I just pray that this, as we start this year by reducing, by fasting and praying, leaning into some of these disciplines, Lord, I just pray that you would meet us here. God, would you meet us as we fast? Would you meet us as we pray privately? Would you meet us, God, as we pray corporately? Would you meet us, God, as we serve the poor, Lord, would you meet us, God, as we worship you? Would you meet us, dear Lord, as we are more generous with our resources? God, I pray for an outpouring of your spirit like we've never, ever experienced. Lord, would you have your way? May your kingdom come. May your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.